Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stall 7, Ulti World's AUDL podcast. I'm Alex Rubin alongside Brian Jones. We are back for another week. A little bit delayed this week uh, after I was in Milwaukee for D1 College Nationals. And I'll just start off by giving a congratulations to a bunch of the Carolina Flyers. Got Alan LaViolette coaching uh, UNC Pleiades, the women's division team, to a championship. And the Flyers, Matt Gujo-Hannes, Siraj Madarahu, Alex Davis, uh, all on the coaching staff for Dark Side, the UNC men's team. Uh, I saw Anders Jungst on the sideline there too. And of course, Matt McKnight, player for the team. I think Andrew Lee also is a player um, and is on the Flyers this year. So great to them for winning back-to-back this school year. Um, and there's a bunch of other AUDL players in action. There was you know, one connection with uh, the wind chills. Andrew Roy ended up throwing a Callahan to the Thunderbirds' Miles Cooper in their quarters game. Uh, Jacques Nissen made the finals with Brown. He'll be playing with DC this weekend. Uh, so lots of great action, both in the college scene and, of course, with our AUDL players as well. Uh, Brian, were you able to catch any of the action? Yeah, it was a fun weekend. I mean, how can you not, you know, tune in during this the semifinal Sunday that you get and finals Monday? And, you know, I, I got to say congratulations to North Carolina, but you all are quickly becoming the villains. And oh, it's... They know. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're I don't think it bothers them to be the villains as long as they keep winning. Yeah, well, you know, that ring culture of booing themselves has worked out, I guess, in these moments. So, yeah. I mean, at least they're not the University of Pittsburgh, whose pregame cheer is literally chanting haters. <laughs> well, see, I like that a little better. Yeah, they, they, they definitely had a, a much more uh, positive energy than that might indicate, but... Uh, yeah, great showing from from Pitt getting all the way to the semifinals. And they they looked like the best team there for a while. Uh, I'll let Charlie and Keith on Deep Look tell you the uh, all the college action, but um, maybe that'll portray good things for the Thunderbirds in future years. Who knows? Um, let's get back to the ADL. I think uh, big stories really coming out of the, the West Coast. Um, let's start with the Colorado Summit, who despite a lot of their team, playing at college nationals, making it to the semifinals with Colorado mama bird. Um, they pull out the win at home against the salt Lake shred. And it was a close one. Uh, you know, final score there is uh 21, 20, I think. Yeah. And it, it literally came down to inches on the last throw. Um, great game between two expansion scenes. You, you have to think that this puts uh, Colorado in the driver's seat out West. They're three and zero. Salt Lake now three and one with their first loss on the year. And to be able to do that for Colorado to be able to get this win, even though they're playing at home without a significant amount of their contributors, uh, I think bodes pretty well for them. Um, and to be able to get this kind of close win, I mean, they had two late breaks in the game that, that built them this lead and they were able to withstand even a, drop with 12 seconds left um, that, that gave Salt Lake a chance to tie it at the end. So I, I would feel pretty optimistic if I were Colorado. They're in a good spot. Yeah, this was a close game. The third quarter was Salt Lakes. They they were able to get a couple breaks and build out a lead, and then Colorado brought it back. But the end was so weird, too. This game kind of had everything, right? Like comeback, fourth quarter drama, and then Nethercut hops out of bounds to give the disc back with like four seconds to go, and Salt Lake does a good job of getting an opportunity. And from there, it's, it's still weird. If you haven't seen it, go out <laughs> in this game because I'm pretty sure this game is done. But Dave Wiseman comes down with the disc. And as he's coming down, he hits, he has the disc in his grasp, which I believe by the AUDL rule, it's possession is then done. 
because they don't allow for infield greatest anymore with zero time remaining. But the disc flutters in the air and it just goes directly behind Jordan Kerr, who kind of, you know, gets his hands close to it or even maybe on it. And it's we're we almost went to overtime, uh, but just some really outstanding performances by several players in this game. We talked about the MVP race earlier in the year, right? Jordan Kerr was performing at such a high clip. You know, he had a 92% completion percentage. When you look at the percentage, that feels a little down, but still 569 yards of offense. That's only eight, a couple eight of assists. Turnovers. Eight assists, pretty huge, right? And then Jay Frude, somebody we haven't been talking about. 18 completions, 100%, 694 yards, nearly 400 receiving yards. He had a great game, plus minus a 14. And, yeah. you know, this Colorado team squeaked it out. And they're dangerous. Yeah, they really needed Frude to, to play this kind of game. I mean, coming up with three blocks in an AODL game is just a lot. Add to that four goals, seven assists. And I, I think, you know, with some of those offensive weapons, you know, no Alex Atkins, no Danny Landisman playing at college nationals, they that O-line needed someone to step up and make plays. And Jay Frude, you know, kind of remembered who he was. I felt like he was a little quieter in their opening games and really, really stood out. And we talk about Kerr, you know, using his lefty throws to, to kind of shape the field differently or attack in ways that defenses aren't necessarily prepared to defend. We certainly saw that. He has a dart of a flick up the line. Uh, my favorite Jay Frude throw is like the inside out lefty flick sort of to the backhand side there. And he had a few of those that were like beautiful shots in this game. And what I really liked is towards the end of the game, you know, that's when the, when the game is close, you, you know, need to hold on to possession. You need to score. You're about to get that last break chance. It's very interesting to see what kind of plays teams draw up and like who they're trusted in crucial moments. And I believe, let me, let me double check the, the stats here. Um, but there were two late goals. It might, I don't think it was the last two goals, but two late fourth quarter goals were fruit to Matt Jackson. And those two feel like they've been teammates forever on, on the roughnecks. And then with the club team, Johnny Bravo. And I think it was really cool to see that an expansion team in their first year, like already has two players who have that kind of trust and are able to execute in those kind of moments. And I think that bodes really well for Colorado moving forward. Of course, Salt Lake also has players who have played together for a long time and who trust each other. It's not exactly a unique thing, uh, but for a Colorado team that has pieces coming in from a lot of different places, I thought that was a really cool moment to see. Yeah. Salt Lake, this game, they can't, there's no reason for them to hang their heads. It's, it's a result you don't want, but you're at the point now where you, know, you don't expect Colorado to go perfect the rest of the way. It's kind of hard to assume that they, you know, they're still undefeated, but it's hard to assume that they will continue on this route. And for Salt Lake, you've had yourself an unbelievable start to the season. And that's been really fun to watch. And so it's kind of hard <clears throat> when you look at the takeaways for this game. You know, I think you're right when you hit it on and talk about Jay Farouk he looks so comfortable on the offensive side of the ball and he was known for being this incredible playmaker early in his career. He still is, but he's just doing it now in a way that's a lot more efficient, a lot more controlling the offense, being a field general out there, moving the ball really well, really balanced game, knowing that I'm going to get backed a lot. So I'm going to have a lot of free resets and we will move the ball. I'm a lefty. I can, I can do the passes that you've talked about, Alex. And so that's been really cool to see him grow. And then, now it's like, I, I feel like Salt Lake now has been officially stress tested, right? There's, 
we, we talk about the, the early game against San Diego. Well, it could be a surprise, and they go beat L.A., so they're 2-0. Then they clobber Seattle at home. And Seattle, you know, until this weekend, didn't look like a team that really was worth judging them against. Like, how good is Salt Lake? I come, came away saying, this Salt Lake team, they're good. They're better. They're better than I thought. They, were in a, they had a chance to win this game, and Colorado really got pushed to the limit. They were using Cody Spicer and Jordan Kerr. That was really fun to watch. But it's not like anybody on Salt Lake out of their main producers had a really bad game, right? They lost this game narrowly with Jorgensen going a 96% completion percentage. Merrill at 100%. He went for 400 yards receiving. And, you know, Kerr still had his normal eight assists and ran the offense, despite having Cody Spicer blanketing him the entire game. And that's a really good sign for the Salt Lake team. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm – Curious about it. it seemed like Colorado had a good amount of success playing junky zone defense in this game. And I wonder if that's kind of Salt Lake's weak point. I mean, they have this unique offense sort of designed around Kerr's strengths and that you know Merrill's comfortable and Jorgensen's comfortable and Miller's comfortable and like they they have the players to fit that system. And one of the late turnovers, which to me was was a big turning point in the game, is Colorado puts out a bit of a like a soft kind of two three two look, and there's the space right in front of the disc and Salt Lake's chipping it up. And at some point they just take a deep shot to Merrill and Nick Snuska eats it up. And it, it feels like Salt Lake has like a, a pace they want to play at and has a, a system they want to kind of force themselves to run. And I, it looks like teams might be able to throw them off their rhythm. And I, I hope Salt Lake sort of has a counter to that. Um, if they're going to be successful. And I mean, they've been very successful. Look, you're the three and one at the quarter point of the season. You can't argue with that. Um, but it, it seems like Colorado may have hit a point that um, you know, San Diego wasn't able to, the LA wasn't able to, certainly Seattle wasn't able to. And I, I'm curious if that's, I don't want to say a blueprint going forward, but I'm curious if that's something that other teams try. Cause it seems like that may be a bit of a weak point for this uh, Salt Lake team. Look, Salt Lake was just going to run into something. And this West is too good. This team isn't experienced from top to bottom, right? Merrill has been a playmaker in for DC in previous years. Kerr definitely has done the job, but the rest of this team is still not at the experience level of being a savvy group of veterans. They know how to punch up really well. And when they're underestimated and play the underdog role really, really well. And you make a great point. They're going to face these moments where teams throw, throw them a curveball and they mess up. That's just going to be inevitable. I think that, this journey for them is about figuring out their ways that can still continue to get better because it's a really fun season. They, they probably, you win those first three games and the sky's the limit. We're talking about Kerr being MVP. You got to imagine that locker room. They're saying we can beat anybody. And now here comes the rebound, right? Like there's these moments where you are the best team in the league. And then you can, the other moments where you can feel like you are the worst team in the league. And that goes for almost every single team, whether you're the New York empire or you're the Detroit Mechanics doing a great job with Mac Hecht and Johnny Bansfield leading the D-line for a little bit of that game where you feel like you're just on fire and you can't be stopped. And it's those moments when, it, when you get that curveball, how do you manage that? How do you respond? How do you react? The simple thing for Salt Lake is to go out and work a little bit better on those poachy defenses. You played Colorado at home. You were going to face adversity this season. This is just a, a minor bump in the road should they choose to make it that way. They just need to continue on and keep getting better because 
it's not, it's only a third of the season over. They could still miss the playoffs, right? It's hard to imagine that happening with what their floor seems to be. This seems like a really good indication of Salt Lake's floor so far. Definitely agree with that. You know, Salt Lake sitting currently in second place in the West. I, I do want to turn our attention to a team currently not in playoff position. And that was your uh, preseason favorite here, the Portland Nitro, who just got rolled by Seattle this week. Roll is, is generous, right? Like I, this game is so perplexing. Just watching the score line after the first quarter, it's 6-6, and that's a normal Portland game. And we should say right now, they're missing Daniel Lewis and Jack Hatchett. Portland's not deep, right? Their top end is incredible. They can punch really well. But without some of those players, without you know Eli Friedman as well, without Tom Doy that can steady things, the wheels came off in the second quarter. It went from 6-6 to all of a sudden 11-6, so five straight points for Seattle, and then it was never close after that. It never got within striking distance whatsoever again. So they were a little undermanned in that game, but they were also facing an improved Seattle team with Matt Rader on the field. That's probably one of the hardest matchups they're going to face all season. So, Yeah, they would have liked to have Hatcha there to at least you know, give Raiders I, I some think trouble. Is, <laughs> I think this is a sign of the lack of depth Portland has. I still think their top end is very good, and if they found themselves in a playoff spot, they could beat any team in the West they face. But Do you think they're going to find themselves in a playoff spot? Yeah, well, they've, they've dropped some games that Colorado won at home when they had the chance in overtime, and now this it's not putting themselves in a great position. And if they're going to face more situations like this, then I really could start to see them make missing the playoffs. Yeah. I think what I didn't really love from Portland when I watched this game was there was just a lot of execution errors. And you were just looking at the, the stats here and I know stats don't tell you the whole story. 88% completions, not a great look for a winning team in, you know, fairly neutral weather. That's that's 2012 AUDL numbers when the Toronto won the league with like a 90% completion percentage. This is not anything under 95% in really bad wind, unless there's really bad wind. It's just not a winning formula in this league. Yeah, 29 turnovers is too many, and less than half of those are blocks from Seattle. These are unforced errors, and I'm just even watching, you can see there's some, some drops, some doinks off people's hands, and the league's good enough where you can't just give away those opportunities, even as, you know, coming into this, the better team. And it's not like Portland had nobody, you know, Leandro Marks is out there. Rafi Hayes is out there. They're, you know, they have their contributors. They have, you know, enough of a group that I, I think I still would have expected them to, to win this game. Uh, but this is the, the Seattle experience is that sometimes they're, you know, winning a game by eight points and sometimes they're losing it by 12 or whatever they lost to Salt Lake. Well, I mean, they're one in five this season. So let's let's give them, let's give them, they're off the schneid. Let's give them some, you know, let's, let's not talk about the Seattle experience. Let's talk about the fact that they, the Seattle experience is inconsistent talent. Right. And today or today, this weekend, we saw the talent and, you know, the past few, we saw the inconsistency. I'm not, I'm not saying this, this is not a Seattle's going to make the playoff take, but this is a Seattle can beat any team in this division. If they're all clicking and they're all present take, that's all. Yeah. They're capable of winning single games, but I, I also don't want to read too much into this when Portland's missing four really huge contributors and they don't have much depth. Sure. 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 So definitely a bit of a, 
a hole to climb out of for Portland. And look, when I, you know, sort of like what I just said about Seattle, when they're all there, I, I think they have the opportunity to, to, you know, win games on the road, but it's going to take that to make the playoffs at this point. And I'm sitting here feeling pretty good about my, uh, you know, San Diego growlers. I don't know. I don't know about you over there with the, your little wave yeah, your Portland yeah, flag. The growlers are three and one and they've, you know, they, it's really going to get down to the second half of the schedule. It's who can show up for Portland and who can get the job done. But yeah, your growlers pick is starting to look better. It wasn't looking too good at the beginning of the season, but we'll see how it all shakes out. For sure. Um, want to shift over to the central division. Uh, the game of the week this week was Minnesota at Madison and Minnesota pulls out the win. They're, uh, I think actually technically not in playoff position just because they've played so many fewer games, like so many, one fewer game. Uh, they're two and one Madison's now three and one with the loss. Um, but yeah, first time someone's beat Madison this season. How do you think this is affecting the, the picture in the central right now? It's kind of shaping up how we thought it would in a way, you know, I picked Madison to win last weekend, just thinking that they had a shot, but really Minnesota put squash that it was just, they got out to an early lead they were able to put the defensive pressure on and really control this game. And that's a sign of good depth, right? When you have, you're missing Andrew Roy for college nationals, 95% completion percentage for the team. And it just seemed like, you know, it's not surprising right now. Madison's offense isn't the most efficient thing about that team. So I say they got out to an early lead, but really it was pretty close until the third quarter when Minnesota started to pull away. Um, it's this, this Minnesota team just has a lot of depth. There's a reason why you pick them. We could go through all the reasons, but the players there are starting to come together. And this is a good sign when you win relatively easily on the road without, with missing some players, that's, that's a good sign here for the one show. Yeah. I mean, missing players, they bring back Will Brandt, who's a big part of their offense. Um, didn't have the, the greatest game to assist the goal, 160 yards but 35 completions you know clearly active and involved there uh, i think the big switch here is you got a little more bivon on offense and a little more abe coffin on defense thought that was an interesting little switch there and abe coffin finishes the game with three assists and uh, 23 completions two turnovers so not the best percentage there but as a d-line shot taker i feel like he sort of changes the shape of their offense there in a way that yeah. i'm not really sure they had someone else to to fill that role He's so good. And you, this, this is the interesting thing when you start to gain depth is how do you decide to figure out who goes where, right? Like that decision is made by somebody and, and you can question it. You could say maybe down in the future, well, don't you want Abe Coffin on offense? But if he's going to put in a large percentage of breaks, I love it. I love, especially early in the season, you should have a playoff spot available to you to be able to get into at the very least. Your job is to peak at the end of the season. That's what all that matters here putting Abe Coffin there, using your resources, figuring out how to best do that. He's the type of guy, too, that the way he plays is he feels like he can command a line. There, We all know center handlers. I mean, this goes without saying in some cases. When you talk about, like, Pablo Giannis and you talk about Abe Coffin, but there are some guys who are more facilitators and kind of don't create their own offense, but Abe isn't one of them. Abe is somebody that if you had to go upwind to win the game, you could feel like he could orchestrate the entire offense, go every other and make it happen. He's that good. 
And so I, I love kind of putting that to defense and letting that offensive identity be, be built off of one really good player. I think that's a really good thing for the windchill. Yeah, look, we'll see if they uh, stick to it. You know, they have, like you alluded to, a few more players who, who weren't there this past week. Um, but it'll be definitely interesting to see how they grow and how they build that out. Um, and it'll be a pretty interesting comparison, too, to the Chicago Union, who sort of had that problem last year and, you know, moved players like like Peter Graffy and Paul Arters around a little bit. Um, this year, maybe don't have as much depth. So something to look out for in the central. Um, I do want to go before we wrap up this segment, um, let's give a quick little run through. I didn't do this at the beginning of the show, uh, but the other scores uh, from week one, Pittsburgh beat Tampa 24-19. Good, solid win for them over a, a pretty weak Tampa team. Uh, New York wins their doubleheader in Canada, 22-18 over Montreal, and a blowout, 30-18 over Ottawa. Uh, DC sneaks by Toronto, 27-26, um, and Indy beats Detroit, 23-19. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with a rapid-fire segment where we were discuss some of the storylines from those games that we didn't quite get to uh, in-depth at the beginning of the show. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back to Stall 7. Alex and Brian back here with some rapid fire. And let's just get right into it. Uh, big story of the weekend was Detroit going for their first win in I don't remember how many years, 50-something games. They get Mac Hecht making his season debut. They get Johnny Bansfield back. And Detroit puts them both on D-line. What do you think about that? This one is interesting. Mac to D-line is not something that you would build a team around, but if you don't have the ability to practice and somebody's just going to show up. And again, we talked about this with Abe Coffin leaving the D line for the wind chill. You can just have person maximize personalities in that moment and let Mac fire away on an ADL field. Ooh, he's going to have some dangerous throws and same with Bansfield. And so if, if the thought is, look, even if you add Mac and Bansfield to Detroit's offense, are they going to be perfect? The answer is no, right? They're going to need some chemistry some 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 ways to build up here on d-line at least you know you're going to get something out of it that's going to help and you can rely on your o-line having chemistry i i don't think perfect's the goal i think the goal is better i mean i think this game is winnable if you put your best players on offense and you're not going to hold every single time but for one game you can trot them out there on defense you can trot them out there on back-to-back points if you need to i mean we saw mac turn into a capable defender towards the end of his college days but like even in the college division, Brown was like hiding him in the back of his own. And, you know, he made some impressive blocks there. I, I remember a few years ago at, at college nationals, but I, I think you need to put your players in a position to succeed. And, you know, Max, an offensive handler, you, you signed him for his throws. I think you got to let him throw the ball. I think we saw success when Detroit had the two of them playing, you know, if they got broken a few times and put them in an offense or the D line got a chance to hold or, you know, timeout, you're able to sub them in something like that. I just think, Detroit didn't put its players in positions where they could play their best. And I don't want to say that's why they lost the game, but I, I think they didn't give themselves as great of a chance as they could have. And look, like I understand that, you know, we, we can talk on here. Oh, they got to win the one game, right? We're waiting for them to win their first game. And the, you know, the coaching staff, the players are looking at this as a season long endeavor, right? They're playing together for the whole year. And so bringing in someone like Mac, who's only going to play the one game, 
I get why you don't want to disrupt, you know, offensive chemistry and you, you feel like you've been building your systems for the whole year and you want everyone to get comfortable playing together and all that, but you haven't been successful all year. You might want to change it up a little bit. I don't think that's too big of a question to ask. And I also don't think that a player coming in can't be successful. I mean, we saw last year, Jonathan Nethercutt rolls into San Diego and they, you know, win their playoff game. They, you know, look really good with him coming in, literally never having played for the team before, not even let alone practicing. So I don't think it's out of the question that Mac and Johnny could have come on the O-line here and been real difference makers. Yeah, I think Nethercutt is the exception that proves the rule, but you're not wrong. Instead of looking at his O-line and E-line, just play Mac and Johnny as much as they can play. Don't worry about it. That's That'd be my vote. And I don't know why Detroit didn't do that. I mean, you know, maybe we'll see another chance. It, it doesn't sound like Mac's um, planning to play another game. Maybe he'll change his mind later, and I'm not sure what, what Bansfield's plans are. But I think this was really the chance, you know, home game against Indianapolis, and they they, they didn't do it. So this this may not be the year. Is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, looking but. forward. So are you worried about D.C. playing a close game in Toronto? It was pretty surprising to see D.C. have to come back in this one. You know, I, I was thinking that this game was won before it was even played, and then we see Toronto have a great offensive game. Yeah, um, I think, you know, we expected this Toronto team to grow over the course of the season. Um, we, you know, they, they, a lot of new players to the league. And so now they, they have a few games under the belt. It's not so surprising that they're playing with confidence and they're playing like they can win against a really good DC team. Now, if you want to put out the same caveats you did for Portland, you know, DC missing a few contributors, you know, especially on their D line, they don't have quite as much punch as they did before. Uh, but I'm really not worried about DC because, you know, they went, into a what became a really close game and they didn't really blink i mean 97 percent completion percentages they're looking at 75 percent hold percentage like they they sort of just kept playing their game and also like six or six on break chances or on, on d-line conversion percent oh i should look at what exactly that stat means i assume that means i don't actually know what that means um <laughs> six for six though looks great um, yeah i'm not worried at all I, i'm not worried is the point yeah, why? Like at this point, why would you be worried? Your job is going to Toronto on a road game. You got to win the game. It doesn't matter how you did it at the end of the day. I, I can't. It's one of those things where it's when you're playing teams that are kind of below the stature that you are trying to win against, right? Like DC's view is new. how do we beat New York? It's not about how we beat Toronto. They're bringing up a, a team of people that can come on this road trip. Escaping alive is really good. Being under pressure and being perfect, nearly perfect in the fourth quarter is really good. Finding a way to gut out and just control the game and just take it away in the fourth. You didn't have your optimal game. There's some stuff to learn from it, but no, I'm not worried about it. So I think this begs a question, though, is like, can Toronto keep this up? Can Toronto keep this up? I don't know what we're talking about here. It's one game. The other games, they haven't looked all that great. Well, that's what I'm saying, like, is Toronto you know, that much better now after seeing them play this no, game? No, they, they, I think they caught, I think they came into a team, a sleepwalking DC team and their offense is still young and got a little bit of confidence and played well. Right. But this is not a Toronto team. That's going to be all of a sudden beating a bunch of others uh, like the Ottawa's Montreal's and Phillies and Boston and competing in the playoffs. This is still the young Toronto team. that has got a lot to learn. They're continuing to grow. There's some really good performances 
Lukamira is doing a good job there, but yeah, this isn't a Toronto team that's going to be competitive long term. I mean, no, I think, I mean, not long term this season. I think the point is that it will be competitive long term, you know, long, long term, a few years from now. I think this. No, not with you got, you have more pieces you need to add. You're telling me that this Toronto team is going to be making the playoffs because of all the growth they're going to have in two years? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I don't think it, look, I'm not saying I'm, you know, putting money on this, but I think that they, if they continuously turn in performances like this week after week, if they're able to challenge DC like that, then, you know, they're able to challenge Boston. They're able to challenge Philadelphia. They're able to challenge Ottawa, Montreal. They have some nice young pieces, right? Let's put it plainly. They have some nice young pieces, but ultimate is a game that until you really get enough pieces, it's not going to matter too much, right? They need five more additions to be competitive. And I don't think that the growth that they're going to see from their depth players that they currently have is going to make the difference. I do love some of the young pieces they have, right? Those are good players out there. Toronto has good players on that team, but you got to get more pieces. Maybe you got to get some old guard members to come back next year. Maybe you got to get, find some new young phenoms, but they're going to need some more talent if they're going to be competitive. Yeah. Well, maybe this is just building up the depth to attract that talent to come, you know, be that best team. It really Mm -hmm. sounds like the coaches are doing a good job there, right? When you have, when you're young, when you don't have enough pieces to be in a game like that, kudos to the coaching staff. Adrian Yearwood doing a good job. That's, yep. That's all I'm saying. Um, They remind me of a little bit of Seattle where if they put everything together, you know, they can, they can really hang with good teams, even if they don't expect to. Um, Let's stick in the East here. Um, New York last year, we saw them basically, you know, they won every game, but they, they needed overtime a few times, even against the weaker teams are winning by like, three or four goals. They didn't quite have the depth to, to really put the stomp on teams. The past two weeks, we've seen them just, uh, you know, winning games by I think 12 goals this week against Ottawa. You know, we, we saw them add some good depth pieces this year, but what do you take of New York sort of learning how to blow out other teams? I don't think it's learning. I think they're just really, really good. All the pieces they've added, adding Antoine Davis, (laughs) getting John Lithio to be another year better. Uh, you know, even Fortin, just they're they're not they don't have a problem with depth anymore, and they're adding Chebron Miser and John Randolph. Get used to it. This is going to keep happening for a while. Yeah, I think I, I share your sentiment. Obviously, you know a little bit more about the elite men scene in New York than I do. Um, but yeah, it seems like that that depth is really making a difference. You know, your your Charles Weinberg's, your Ethan Fortins of the world are are you know taking a bit of the burden off of Jack Williams and Ben Yacht and Elliot Chartok to, to, you know, Ryan Osgar to feel like they have to do everything. And last year they proved they're capable of doing just about everything on their own. Um, but without needing to, I feel like this team is, is, you know, in a bit more of a comfortable place and that's certainly looking good for New York's championship chances. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Osgar is playing the best I think I've ever seen him play. No, definitely. Yeah just his, his statistics bore that bear that out where he's really locked in to a point where it's like, it's hard to imagine how much better this New York offense gets. I don't think they can get much better because who's going to test them. Their next test comes against DC probably twice this year when they play them again in the regular season at home and then again in the playoffs, most likely, but it's they're adding the defensive firepower. So their offense will not have to be perfect to win a championship. That's what's scary about this team is that offense could have a quarter of a brain fart and you still aren't safe. So 
watch out everybody else. Definitely exciting. Well, looking ahead to week six, we'll have some interesting contests in the East Boston traveling to DC and then afterwards to Philadelphia in a doubleheader. And that Boston Philly game was one that we highlighted a few weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. Uh, time is uh, escaping me at the moment with all, all the frisbee things I've been doing. Uh, that's a, a really key game. Um, just basically figure out which team is still alive in that East playoff race, assuming everything else goes to seed, which uh, Toronto almost made sure it didn't. So anything is still possible there. Um, Carolina, our other uh, undefeated team out of the South is taking a road trip down to Texas. They'll play Dallas and then Austin. And that'll be a tricky road trip. And I know Carolina's done that in the past, but they got a big target on their back. I know Austin's pretty hungry for a revenge win. So that one will be interesting. Um, and every team is playing this week, except for the San Diego Growlers. So lots of action all around the league. By the time you're hearing this, some of it will have definitely already happened. Apologies again for getting it out so late in the week. Uh, Brian, is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to for week six? Well, I think, you know, we're seeing Boston bring a kind of a shell of a squad going to DC and then Philly, which is just heartbreaking for their playoff chances. But it, it really means that if, Boston goes in and loses this game to Philly, then Philly and it's going to come down to between Philly and Montreal for that third playoff spot. And that's going to be really interesting for the East coast. Carolina is going to have to find a way to get it done throughout the regular season. It looks like uh, Anders Jungst is out for a little while here and is going to be returning hopefully in the playoffs, but that's a big loss for that team that makes them really dangerous, but they keep finding ways to keep, to, to get the job done. So I'm really interested to see, you know, I expect them to handle Dallas. Can Austin put up a fight that's reasonable and have a chance for Austin to stay in the playoff race. That's going to be a big question after this weekend. Yeah. I mean, look, Austin was up late last time that they played each other. So we'll see if uh, being at home makes a big difference for them. Uh, but you can turn to that game. I think, is that the, what's the game of the week this week? Is that it? It is. It is. All right. So you can turn to that one on uh, Fox sports. The rest of the game is of course on ADL.TV. Um, Thank you all for listening. That'll do it for us for this week. Uh, make sure to, you know, stay in touch at stall seven on Twitter. Um, and after you know, spending the past two weekends at various college national events, uh, if you're a subscriber, you can stick around for our subs only segment where Brian and I will discuss how a college all-star team would do if it was in the AUDL essentially as an expansion team. Uh, so if that's interesting, stick around for that. If you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe for less than $4 a month. Always, you know, looking for, for new subscribers and we, we give you some pretty great content for it. Uh, so something to consider for sure. Um, otherwise, make sure you uh, like and subscribe. Uh, if that's a thing you can do on your podcast platform, always love honest five-star reviews. And that'll about do us any, uh, that'll about do us, that'll about that will about do it for us. Uh, Brian, uh, any last words uh, before we log off? I got nothing, man. If that's going to do it for us, then, you know, or do us, then I'm, <laughs> I don't know what I'm in for this weekend. It's been a long week. Um, I'll give a shout out to, to myself. Uh, earlier today, I had a, my last physical therapy appointment recovering from an ACL surgery myself and got cleared for the return to sport stuff. Um, so that was, that was really exciting for me personally. Um, and after, uh, you know, long, long six months of voting of the strength necessary to be able to put cleats on for the first time, I'm really looking forward to that. So it'll still be a few months before you see me, you know, actually out playing a game on a field, but even like looking forward to doing break mark drills and things like that again. So 
Um, if you are able to play ultimate and something that you, know, you like to do, make sure to take a moment of appreciation that you're able to do that. And I'll be joining you pretty soon. Uh, so that wraps up for this week. Uh, I just want to give you a thank you one more time for listening and you'll hear from us again soon.